0: And welcome to the Hot Plates and Grace podcast. This is our 10th episode and the season finale. I have two really important guests with me today. One is a Cremant de Jura. We're going to drink this from Domaine Dussault. Sparkling rosé. It's perfect right after Valentine's Day to share with somebody that you know, really love and have an affection for. And my second guest that I have, who this wine kind of pairs perfectly with, is my own mother, Vanessa Collins. Yes, the person who gave birth to me, the, the, the reason why you're hearing my voice is right here in front of us now, live and direct. We're going to hear some stories that I probably never heard myself, so I'm excited to get down to it. So while I you know, I open this bottle, I'm going to give a disclaimer. My mother does not drink, but I do, so this is going to happen. This means a lot to me right now. it be the first time I'm able to drink in front of my mother and not get judged by it. This is great, and we can have a professional conversation. This is, <laughs> This is great. So mom, how is, how's Virginia? How How's Fredericksburg? How, how are they accepting the COVID? How are they moving forward? And like, how's being around James 24 seven? James is uh, my father, by the way. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh my gosh, being around James every day was an adjustment last spring when I had to work from home every day. <laughs> Um, Of course, we see each other every day, but really being on lockdown together was quite interesting. He was super happy because if he could have it his way, he'd have us home together every day anyway. Um, But I really enjoy getting out and going to work. Really. so nice.
0: um,
1: Overall, it's been fine. Thank God we didn't have those issues that I've heard so many other couples having about you know, we didn't have any pre-existing issues, so it weren't, they weren't exacerbated by COVID. Um, I think we came to actually cherish each other even more because of the level of death and morbidity and just being grateful for life every day. I think it made us cherish one another more, really, um, and to value every day and not take things for granted. And I always want to say that we haven't taken each other for granted, of course. But it really made us examine life and appreciate it. That's good. Even more,
0: really. That's good. I'm glad it wasn't, you know, the exact opposite. Um,
1: Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, school-wise, of course, um, we literally just started hybrid plan B. So it was quite an adjustment. It was um, our principal. The new principal said it's the first time he's ever had the first day of school in February. Wow. So (laughs) that was really, like some kids have like had never seen the school. They've had to do like virtual tours for the students because they had never seen it. We've had transfer students or sixth graders who had never seen the buildings because of COVID. Everything just wasn't permissible.
0: Wow. That's the um, favorite word of this year. Unprecedented. Oh, <laughs> for,
1: absolutely. For, for
0: children, because the first day of school for us was so important. You know, what are you going to wear? Oh, you know, the jitters. You know, it's just a bunch of stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of politics in the first day of school, but it's usually a warmer time and not the middle of a. Oh, um, yeah. Or the middle of the winter. So it's just a, a lot of like re, kind of retraining, relearning kind of how to teach in this time.
1: Oh, definitely. The teachers yeah. have never used this technology before. They came in in person recently because a lot of them have been home. I've been coming in person because of my low incidence students. You know, mm-hmm. I've had to teach my autism students who can't learn virtually all along. So right. there were a limited amount, um, but for the most part, I've just been doing it virtually and in person, face to face, for a while now.
0: Well, yeah. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're staying safe and. You know it didn't reach that far because new york definitely went through a lot and a lot of people close to me had were especially in their family tree were greatly affected by it so i'm blessed that you know my family tree wasn't greatly affected by it you know it was definitely something to be like thankful for everybody asked me how's your family in virginia and i was always you know great they're doing fine well mom so you were um you're a fellow new yorker born and raised in mount Vernon. Attended Mount Vernon High School, graduated in 1987. It's the same high school that Denzel Washington went to, and uh, JB Smooth, right? Or is it was J- always think it's JL Smooth, but I'm pretty sure it's JB. No, J. it's JB Smooth. Yeah, JB Smooth, talent as well, but not too much of a household name in, in my generation. Hey, hey,
1: talent, Oh, sweetheart. Now,
0: let's not talk. Don't sleep
1: actually, on talent
0: now. Well, people don't know my mom actually did a talent show with Albie Shore and. <laughs> said that he was a terrible singer and he got voice lessons and became a one-hit wonder look at that he did it was an
1: audition he was a senior i was a junior and we sang a duet of tomorrow by the Winans. and he did not hit those falsetto notes (laughs) and right after he turned to me he said if we don't make it i think it's my fault meaning his fault (laughs) and i was like yeah so (laughs) Al definitely went and got voice lessons. Next thing you know, here he is with Barry White. He's tight with Quincy Jones and he is doing it. So he definitely became a success story. And, you know, he always wanted to sing. So he followed his dream, which is great. yeah but you know that song you you know it was just such a high note and i'm naturally a soprano he was singing falsetto so that's just a larger range for a man and he has a naturally deep speaking voice Mm. so that was a big factor
0: okay benefit of the doubt all right albie you can live to you you live today
1: no definitely yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, he did a great job what in the garden yeah yeah
0: (laughs) and after a um you know eventful high school career Attended Adelphi University in Garden City, New York, which is out in Long Island. Received a bachelor of arts degree in 92. Um, Then later on in life, especially after giving birth to me and my brother, I was born in 94, brother was born in 92, still somehow found a way to attend James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and got a master's of science degree in 2003. And she taught in the Manassas Public Schools Um, Manassas City Public Schools for 12 years from 1994 to 2006. We moved down to Fredericksburg, Stafford area, and worked for the Stafford County Public Schools from 2006 till today. So my whole educational career, my mother was in the schools with me. Actually was a benefit, it's not actually a negative. (laughs) So she's been working in the field for over 26 years, working with students who have speech language impairments, autism, intellectual disabilities, specific learning disabilities, and other health impairments. And they're at the middle school and high school level, even though she started off in preschool. kind of think that's like the way to go. And the certification that mom has received, she has her certificate in clinical competence from the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, otherwise known as ASHA. And she has the um, V.A.B.A.S.L.P. license from the Virginia Board of Audiology and Speech-Language Pathology. So, mom, being from Mount Vernon, New York, lovely place. I used to love going all the time. How did it all start? Uh, what did what did grandma do? What did grandpa do? Um, were they hospitality at all? Like, how'd you get into your career path?
1: No, they weren't. Um, Daddy was actually an auto mechanic. And it's my understanding that he has served in both the U.S. Navy and U.S. Army. Um, he had been in World War II. Um, I heard about that. Um, he had actually lied to get into the military so he really didn't finish high school he didn't have much schooling he lied about his age somehow got his mother to sign and let him in and i think the first time they found out that's why he had to go into a different branch later i guess Mm -hmm. um when he became of age and my mother um mommy didn't work when i from what i know i mean my siblings will say that she worked before i was born um but as far as I know, she was a housewife, a homemaker. She never worked outside of the home when I was born. But I am, I'm a late in life baby. I'm the surprise because my <laughs> siblings are 15, 14, 11, and 10 years older than me. So it was quite, I was quite the surprise. So <laughs> I, their experiences with my parents are way different from mine. So you can probably relate as being the baby to a some certain degree. Yeah, I'm um, totally agree. but yeah, I'm definitely I know the, the baby. I know the
0: benefits of being the youngest.
1: The other part of the question, no, none, Neither of them were in hospitality in any way um, that I could think of. And really, this term you use as hospitality, I think, was mainly associated with hotels, hmm. and not so much restaurants. I think we considered that just the restaurant business,
0: right? You know
1: not so much that term. I'm not sure when that became like a nuanced term or maybe I'm just ignorant to that. I think every child explores those service jobs initially, um, you know, wanting to be a teacher. Um, I used to have one time I wanted to be a florist <laughs> because I kind of thought that was a cool job, but I didn't really want to do the funeral aspect, but I always thought it was nice for people to to bring people flowers like that would be a cool thing and then i thought about the arrangements but then i talked myself out of it because i can be indecisive and i would spend too much time rearranging and i didn't think i would be really productive but that's something i used to think about um you know most kids want to be police officers or whatever but yeah (laughs) teacher i know that crossed my mind the florist um i'm not thinking too much else but When I was 16, my grandmother, who I was extremely close with, I spent every weekend with her from the time I was 11 till I was 16, pretty much. Um, And she had a stroke my junior year. Wow. And she lost her speech. And she had a speech therapist come to the house and work with her. And it was like miraculously, she regained her speech and I thought, oh my God, what a great job. This is just amazing. And at that time, I think they were making like $35 an hour. I thought, well, this is quite, quite the job.
0: Yeah.
1: But prior to that, or almost concurrently with that experience, that same year I had a really traumatic experience where my mother had attempted suicide and I found her. And that same day, um, I remember the ambulance waiting outside and my high school sweetheart pulling up cause he was driving me to school every day and pulling up right behind the ambulance. And then she's in the ambulance. She gives me like this bag of money. It was like a bank pouch. Wow. And she tells me, you know, don't take, don't let anybody take this from you. And I'm just like, okay, so I guess that was like her emergency plan or something. It was just really weird. So, and I guess I don't really have a recollection of how it happened, but what did they do? The older siblings, they took the money from me, right? Cause here I am 16, I'm in 11th grade. They're probably thinking, what is she gonna do with 2000 plus dollars? How is she gonna manage the bills? But I felt offended and violated by that. Like how yeah. dare they do this to me? So then they decided not only did I not have the right to keep that in my possession I couldn't stay home anymore. So I ended up living between my grandmother's house and Aunt Audrey and Uncle Derek's house. So during the week, I would stay with Aunt Audrey and Uncle Derek because they were in Mount Vernon, not far from the high school. And then I would stay with my grandmother on the weekends. So as soon as this happened, you know, Bernard told me, he's like, you need to get a job. It never dawned on me that I needed to get a job, but he said (laughs) I need to get a job. So he drives me to Larchmont to Roy Rogers I walk in, I fill out the application, you know, the manager gives me an interview on the spot, and here I am now, employed at Roy Rogers. So between going to school, he's driving me back and forth wherever I am, um and while I'm working there, I this family comes in and the father is deaf and he has like deaf speech. Yeah. No one else can understand him. I'm the cashier, so I step in and I'm like I managed to take this man's order and understand what he was saying. So I'm like, oh, so maybe this is like a gift, like a thing that I can do for a profession. So that kind of like reinforced my interest in the field, you know? Mm-hmm. So grandma having the stroke and her speech being affected, the speech pathologist coming to the house, and it was successful. Now I know my grandmother's will played a big role in right. that and her faith and prayer and everything. But I know the speech pathologist was a key factor in making that happen, too. Um, And then that experience with that family and that father that day really impacted me. Like, you know, this is what I want to do. So when I graduated from high school, I had declared my major when I got accepted to Adelphi. I declared my major as a freshman. I know most people go in undecided, but I knew I chose Adelphi because they were a unique program because their High Weinberg Center actually allows bachelor level therapist to do clinicals yeah most programs you have to wait till you're in grad school so when I graduated with my bachelor's I actually had clinical hours under my belt Mm. so when I graduated found out I was pregnant with Joel incidentally my grandmother who was on her deathbed told me I was pregnant with Joel and I didn't even know like I always remember like your father had just visited over the Christmas break. And I called him, he had just left, I called him on New Year's cause grandma was like, you get up in the middle of the night you take care of your baby and you don't have another baby until you can feed and take care of that one. And I was like, what? I was like, do you know who you're talking to? And she's like, here yeah, you, <laughs> but, and so I call him and I'm like, can you believe this? So my period was due like January 13th and sure enough she died January 4th, Joel was there. And that was history. She was right. I was wow. pregnant. Wow. That was just like amazing to me. <laughs> so it's just like with her, Aaron, I used to feel so sad because every time I took a step forward in my life, it's like she took a step back, you know, and then she's telling me I'm pregnant and Joel is like one, one soul leaves this world for one to come in. And Joel yeah. came right
0: when she was leaving.
1: Mm-hmm. And she knew it. I mean, wow. That
0: was... I mean, I, could, I couldn't imagine if that happened to me. So, like, yeah, you have a baby on the way. I'd be like, you better not. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, I mean. Yeah, well, you can play a role in protecting, preventing that, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. so that seems to be, like, a major turning point in your career. But was there a certain position you obtained, or... Was it the job at Manassas uh, City Public Schools that really kind of shifted you towards the um, being, being solidified in that field for, like, a long term?
1: Oh, my gosh. that That time in my life was so wonderful. Just mm-hmm. that was another gift from God, really, because most people, it was unheard of what God blessed me with in that position. It was really... A God thing. I can't say anything else about it besides that, because it couldn't be planned. It can't be explained. But exceptions were made and people will call it sometimes God's favor. And I really think that's what it was. So a position had opened up. You were maybe barely eight months old. And a position opened up for a speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. Well, in our field, technically, to become a licensed speech language pathologist, we're always told you need a master's degree. Right. Well, they were still hiring bachelor level therapists because there was a shortage in the field. And that's what they were doing. So what they did was put my title on my contract, as speech language assistant.
0: Mm.
1: Although I wasn't really assisting anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when I was first hired part time, I was working two days a week and there were 3 of us doing this one position to cover the caseload. So then they said to me in um spring, you know, what would you like how what position would you like next year? How many hours would you like to work? And I said full time <laughs> if I could. Yeah. <laughs> and he said okay. And I thought, "Oh, it was that easy?" <laughs> okay. Great. So now yeah. I'm going to be hired full time, going to get benefits. This is great. Um And then the position went down to two of us and then it was just me Mm. doing that job. Wow. Typically I think they had some kind of special conditions where you could be in that job for maybe in that position or with that title for three years. I think I was in that title for eight. Wow. Because grad school took like five and a half years and I think I did it for three before grad school. So, I was like, wow, how does this happen? But they were making it happen. And I was the only speech therapist for all the preschoolers in the city. They will all come to me at wow. Jenny Dean. So it was just like, awesome. I love the position. It was wonderful. It was the best years of my life, despite the separation and divorce that occurred while I was working there the first right. few years, you know? Right. So then I thought, okay, I got this one class under my belt. Let me apply to grad school. And even though I had applied again and got accepted, how am I going to logistically, once I've separated, and now it's just the three of us, me, you, and Joel, um, how am I going to logistically drive from Manassas from work to D.C. for classes at night in the dark parking? Who's going to watch you guys? How am I going to pay out-of-state tuition? Because that didn't dawn on me. When well, you talk right. about things I didn't factor in, it was just a school I was interested in that was had a certified speech language pathology program that i thought was a good fit for me that i can get a great education um but all of those logistics just i thought were unsafe unwise and i didn't want that debt because i already had undergraduate debt that was ridiculous yeah okay based on the separation missing those three payments and getting an eight thousand dollar penalty was like crazy always pay no matter what as pastor <laughs> would say send them ten dollars don't ever skip a payment it's just not <laughs> worth it so I took a little hiatus from trying to go to grad school because I thought I was questioning, like asking God, is this what I'm really meant to do? Because like I've applied twice. I've got accepted twice, but there were roadblocks each time. So is this really meant to to be? So then I heard about this program called the FOSS program at JMU. They got a grant from the state of Virginia um, called facilitating licensure of bachelor level Speech speech pathologists. So I was like, okay. And so there's tuition reimbursement. So what other therapists were doing that were like me, we would take courses because JMU was pretty competitive to get into. So you really had to prove yourself and take courses to get solid grades. You had to be really good because grad programs in speech pathology are very small Mm -hmm. because the supervision is intense. So you don't get a lot of, we're talking like 50, 30, 40. Like it's limited. Wow. Um, sometimes it's less than that. So so I started taking the classes. I think Aunt Lena um, sent me the seed money for that. And then from then on, tuition reimbursement at work just paid for grad school. So I never had any loans for grad school.
0: That's lovely. Hmm.
1: So I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now I still have debt, right? I still have this undergraduate debt, but that's okay. You know, we were working <laughs> with it. So there were some unexpected things. Um, wow. But it, it worked out. And I never had to really be away from you guys for long. And then... Yeah, it was...
0: I've, I've When come to think about it, I, I kind of always wondered how, you know? I remember, you know, trying to go to sleep as a kid and, like, you know, hearing, like, the pots and pans from cleaning up from, like, dinner. And then the light was always be on and I would run down because I had some bad nightmares on the computer working, and you say all these things to, you know, ease my sorrows, ease my stress, ease my – whatever was going through my head, and then it was right back to the, right back to the grind. I, I had no idea what was happening until we went, for, went to graduation, and I was like, oh, snap, mom was in school this whole time. <laughs> you know, as a kid, yeah. you, you know, but you don't really know. You kind of forget. Like, life is, you know, just Capri Suns and, or, and orange slices when you're a kid. You, mm-hmm. know, you don't really notice that. And you know, it was just really interesting how much went into just receiving – it's not anything small, but just to receive that, you know, that degree went through so many hoops and ladders. So and with so with having us as children and having to provide meals and uh occasionally a dining experience, let's say if you couldn't cook at that time, how did that compare providing that for us when you were a child and um grandma and grandpa would provide meals for you? I think there's is huh.
1: How do you compare that? It's just completely different dynamics. So there was dinner time at six o'clock. You better be at the table, otherwise you're not going to eat. There was no microwave. There was no. The kitchen would close once she did the dishes and mopped the floor. You were not going in the kitchen again. It was <laughs> over. Okay, so dinner time was at six o'clock every night that I remember. Um, I remember Daddy bringing home table talk pies on Fridays or pineapples or whatever treats for us. Um, but there wasn't a lot of eating out um, because it's a family of seven.
0: Right.
1: I mean. In New York. Yeah, that was not a thing that was done on a regular basis. I think it was very rare. Not even going to McDonald's that I can remember. Wow. I mean, I do remember having, I think Aunt Lena did it for me, like maybe a big birthday party. I think it was my 10th at McDonald's. That was a big deal. Um, So even birthdays, it was like just you got your favorite meal, and we got this beautiful cake from this bakery called um, Artuso's.
0: Mm.
1: It had the, like, best, I think, buttercream frosting, and it was, like, these sprinkles on the side, and it was just beautifully decorated and tasted amazing. So that was a big thing for you to be able to get a cake from Artuso's for your birthday. Mm. It's
0: like a, it's like bringing a Junior's key- Cheesecake to the... Kind of,
1: kind of. But, like, it was,
0: even better, though? Oh,
1: yeah, it was on Gramington right. Avenue in in New York. It was like an Italian bakery. So they were known for their cannolis and I'm not a cannoli fan. So I would like their chocolate eclairs, right. you know, and it might be a treat I could get on the way home from school sometimes if I had money, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, as far as I know, they're not open anymore. Um, um, it's been a while, but that right. was that was really special. Um, and then as far as us. I definitely, and I don't know if you remember this, but I definitely took advantage of uh, kids eat free under 12 (laughs) deals. You know, we would go to David's in different spots, you know, and I took advantage of that. I would plan it, you Mm -hmm. know, different things that I had to take advantage of. Child support wasn't consistent. It came sometimes, sometimes it didn't. So I had to manage my budget, and I was doing the envelope system before I even knew who Dave Ramsey was. My envelope <laughs> right. for gas, food, you know, entertainment, that was already established. Yeah. So if we could go out and you order from the kid's menu or you get a meal for free, that's how we ate out most of the time. And then, you know the story. Once we, you know, James and I married, you God answered your prayers, remember? <laughs> you wanted somebody who would get you cable And to help me with everything that I needed to provide for us and to come to all the events with me so I wouldn't have to do it by myself. God answered that prayer because literally the week we got married, I want to say James had cable in the house. Or did he (laughs) even put it? He might have put it in the house before we got married.
0: I had three prayers growing up and it was very specific and they were all answered. And cable television was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So true.
1: So, so true. So we found out from James, that birthdays were like a big deal. Bigger Mm -hmm. than, and they were a big deal to us, but to James, it was like a real big deal. You could go to any restaurant you wanted to, right? Right. And the sky was the limit. You had no boundaries on what you could order. So that was a complete shift, you know, from my childhood experiences and his. He definitely never ate out as a child. There weren't even restaurants in Dominica that
0: he could go to,
1: (laughs) like, no. That wasn't even a thing. Yeah. He was shocked when we went in two thousand twelve that there were actually dining restaurants there. You like, know? That's so, so I interesting. think it's, wow. Yeah, it's been a huge change. He said everybody would go home for lunch.
0: Yeah. So it seems like it was almost like an intentional effort to kind of show us what you couldn't like what you all didn't have for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, it's like exactly what like parents set out to do is give a life better for their children, even if it's as small as dining out in a restaurant receiving service paying for a bill and like especially for a birthday like that felt like everything i remember on a special occasion getting like a strawberry lemonade was like wow you know so i I definitely think that that kind of influenced me in hospitality like over the over time i definitely became more infatuated with it all from the dining experiences we had growing up water is my favorite beverage to this day
1: (laughs) (laughs) now was it that bad aaron
0: let's really no it wasn't that bad it's just which is funny to say, you know, because I see kids now ordering six dollar Coca Colas coming in can sizes. A six dollar Coca Cola, and my heart just like, I'm like, how? No, it would never even be a thought. <laughs> it would never even come up. <laughs> but we did go out. We did eat well. Like, just I remember going to Mike's American restaurant. Like, we never had like a lot of elevated experiences. You know, we didn't until I came to New York that I didn't really know about an elevated dining experience. I only knew about it from what Virginia had to offer. I think Montclair Family Restaurant was like the closest thing to like mom and pop consistent dining that we did, where we could build a connection with the server. Oh my you gosh. Know, we still
1: know. remember the lady. Do you know she's still serving there? You know, the once yeah, cat lady server
0: with the long hair. Yeah. It's so bad how we know her as a cat lady for no matter how many experiences she's given us to, we just can never stop thinking about the time where she was like, my cat died today. <laughs>
1: And she would feed the cats outside the restaurant. It's like, yeah. oh my god, Yeah. oh my god. So she still asks about you and Joel to this day. And I think it's people like her that led me to that experience when I was in grad school. That in between time when I needed money that summer, I don't. You must have been like three and a half. Like,
0: I mean, I want to say it was like ninety-seven.
1: I'm gonna yeah, say
0: anything pre two thousand and one. I have no idea.
1: Yeah, so I'm guessing it was ninety-seven. I don't really think it was as late as ninety-eight, but. Yeah, it had to be 97 and separated in 96. So 97 was when I got this great idea that, you know, maybe I should try waitressing. Hmm. It was something that I had always admired, you know, in college, I always thought it was cool that um, there were so many people working their way through college, working their way through school. You hear the stories, especially women pregnant, otherwise young men, young women. But then there were always these servers who were older, like the lady at Montclair Family Restaurant. This was really their profession. This is what they did for their livelihood. And when you're making two thirteen dollars an hour, that's your guaranteed pay. How are they really surviving? But yet they provide such an awesome, if they're good at it, you know, we've had bad servers, right? If they're good at it, it's an awesome experience and it makes you keep coming back. So it's a combination of quality food and quality service. No matter where you are, I think that impacts you and it tells whether you're gonna come back again because your food could be awesome, but if the server's horrible, you're like, "Uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna come back. If your server's awesome, you might say, this was a bad food experience. Maybe the chef was having a bad day, something went wrong, but that
0: service was on point.
1: I might try them again. Mm
0: Do you agree? I mean, hundred oh, percent. I I think there's three elements to a restaurant, and two of them are the most important. But there's one, like the ambiance is the third one, being that like you know, if you nailed ambiance, you've you should have the first two, which is food and service down pack. If you have took t- t- taken the time and focus on ambiance, you are executing food and executing service perfectly. Nobody wants to go to a place and feel bad. <laughs> you, you you just stay at home at that point, <laughs> you
1: know. It's like to get tortured to eat tasty food. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. Good service. I think makes the food taste better, I guess. Um, yeah. but I always wanted to try that and I'm really glad I had the experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I always, you know, enjoyed eating at Cracker Barrel. I thought it was a fun place. And I, my mindset was I needed to work somewhere close to you guys that I didn't have a commute, right? 213 hour is all I'm guaranteed. Right. But here I am with a you know bachelor's degree, trying to earn a master's, and I'm deciding to be this server. Um, but I really did want that experience. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know why, I just always thought, respected that. I thought it was a really honest living. Then people were really working hard. And I was like, can I really carry that tray? I was always having that fear like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't ever want to drop a tray on someone. Or I go- yeah. And I didn't, I never had that problem, thank God. That's good, um, that's good. So I enjoyed it, you know. Right off ninety-five, you know, the the benefit of working at that type of restaurant is that mostly travelers. And I was working in the summer, so most travelers are excited to spend their money because mm-hmm. they don't live there. This is a fun experience. I'm on vacation, so it was always good. You had it was not like just locals that might be more disgruntled, I
0: guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, more common to be like, I live here. Like I have a piece of, I have a stake in this land. I have a stake in this. Environment, Yeah, I, I get you. But to all the hospitality workers out there, my mom appreciates you. She obviously respects the craft. You can hear yeah, you, definitely you appreciate
1: it. it. Yeah, definitely appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. One thing is, I don't know. I think you talked about at your restaurant legacy, there were actually glass polishers. Yeah. The downside of being a server, besides having to deal with a variety of customers and the unexpectedness and being on your feet... The side work, Ugh. rolling silverware, setting salads, refilling. That is like, okay. And you have to keep track of the order and you have to check on it. You can't leave it under the heat lamp too long. You have to, it's just a lot. So you yeah. definitely need to be a quick, quick thinker, pay attention to detail, learn all the codes, you know, it's a lot. And I don't think people really realize it when it gets so frustrated with servers, right? How much really is involved in that, that server is depending on everybody in the back. Of course, it starts with the server. You have to get the order put in right, but that doesn't mean they're going to fulfill it correctly.
0: Right. I mean, it's a lot of check. It's like it's a huge system of checks and balances. Every restaurant's its own government. Mm. And like anybody who's in this position, where you are taking orders or in a position of execution, you have you hold a really strong role, and you drop the ball once, and everything can set on fire. One table can set the whole restaurant on fire and it can ruin the whole entire night. But there's some restaurants that are so good at hiding the fire that you'll never know what's happening. The kitchen mm-hmm. can be back there screaming, yelling, and service are sweating. But the minute they hit the floor, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it, yeah. The yeah, choir you starts singing angels. Right. Yeah. What's one dining experience that you've had over your glorious and beautiful life that has just really stuck out to you and as a fond memory? I don't know
1: if it's fun, but the high quality, I guess positive dining experience I had recently was at the Chart House restaurant in Alexandria, Virginia. And I think part of it was that it was a surprise. Of course, I didn't know um, this was gonna happen. I thought I was gonna like go to some little local spot in Woodbridge and James (laughs) drove right by it. And I'm like, okay, what is happening? and so we get there and of course it's a beautiful location because it's on the water. And this is the place, Aaron, I think I told you about that a standard item on their salad bar is caviar. Oof. <laughs> <Hot>. <laughs> and, um, James had taken me there on a date many years ago. We probably the first year we started dating, he took me to the char house and I had like this embarrassing moment because the wait staff was just wonderful. And so he's asking, Do we want bottled water or tap water? Well, you know, James is a bottled water man for sure. Yeah. I'm fine with either. Tap water doesn't matter. So he's offering me his selection. And um, I said, Okay, I will take Aquafina. He said, "Um, Aquapana.
0: And I said,
1: (laughs) Oh. Yes, aquapana. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, so this is, I was like, oh, what a faux pas. You know, like I cannot believe that, but it's true story. Food is excellent, service is great. I mean, the wait staff was just so on point. It was just so attentive, it was wonderful. So, so many years later, I mean, gosh, it's pretty much 15, 14, 15 years later, he's taking me back to surprise me for my 50th birthday, totally shocked. And they have like this area set up, waterfront glass, you know, windows all around, perfect view of the water. They customized the menu just for me with my name, happy birthday, Vanessa. And it's like the specialty menu. It was awesome. And there's like appetizers all around. And it's just, well, of course I got to choose which ones, but calamari. You know calamari can be so iffy and rubbery when it gets cold yeah absolutely delicious it was just like no complaints it was perfect so they really it was awesome and you know i'm my seafood palette i would say is limited you know me i've kind of been like a fried fish type (laughs) you know fried shrimp person you know johnny's reef city island um even though you know we've been to many many Um, Sammy's Fish Box was a common restaurant for us to go to for my sixth grade graduation, different times as I got older. I got to eat out when I was the only baby in the house. Mommy took me to City Island all the time, whether it was the seashore or JP's. And Johnny's Reef was like, you know, the fast food version, but it was delicious, right?
0: Yeah. I really miss those times in City Island.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just so awesome. And the quality of the seafood, no matter where you go, it's always good right so here i am experimenting with a fish that's boiled with some kind of sauce on it and just excellent and grilled shrimp you know just delicious there was no compl- no one complained everybody and it's a good 20 20 of us at least no one wow. complained everybody wow. said the food was delicious from the service the the bread the to the wait staff everything was great and i mm-hmm. will say at the end of the night, they took all the extra menus, put a ribbon on it, and sent me home with my personalized menus. <laughs>
0: wow, and that was just really even at sweet. the end. All the way through. Yeah. Till, through, till, they, till they leave the door. That's how you do it. I'm actually proud of Virginia for doing that. I'm, I'm really <laughs> proud of my state. Way to go.
1: Yeah, and I kept them. I still have them. So it was just excellent. And I, I would definitely go back, and I would recommend it to anybody. So that was one of my... I guess best and most recent dining experiences was at the Chart House.
0: Lovely. I mean, you can't
1: you can't go wrong with the view of the National Harbor.
0: No. In DC. Right. Back to talking more about um, speech language pathology because I feel like you being in that career really helped me going forward in what I wanted to do in life, and I think these things um, came natural. When we spoke earlier about this. You said that you know the children's vocabulary and how they speak is directly correlate directly correlates with the mother's education level, and as anybody can see, my mother has an extensive education level, so I had a head start. I didn't really follow up as well as my mom, but I had a head start. That's
1: okay. You're yeah. doing fine.
0: So I thank you, mom. I wanted to uh, see, like, going into speech-language pathology and how it started for you with um, having your grandmother being your inspiration. Then it's resolidifying in your life experiences. How did your vision going in, you know, in your youth? How has it changed now? and being now in a mature role as a mother, a grandmother, um, what's your mission now? And what directly affected those changes?
1: I think initially I had a vision that I was gonna open up my own practice. I was gonna have this private practice and it was gonna cover everything. It was just gonna have like, you know, me, speech pathologist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, you know, maybe a neurologist, physician, social workers. It was just gonna be this all-inclusive practice where people can have all their therapeutic needs met, maybe a psychologist, psychiatrist, just like a full team. Well, when you go to grad school and you learn what the overhead is like to have all the tests, all the insurance, all the materials. And remember, I went to grad school while working full time. So I wasn't like a typical grad student who'd never been in the profession before. I knew what the materials cost. I knew what the time would be to put into it. So they also tell you in grad school that really when you work in the school system, you make more per diem than you do doing private practice because they, even in hospital setting, they work year round. I got paid summers and holidays off. So my number of contact hours that I work for my salary is nicely offset by all these vacations that are embedded, which was a perfect job for me with raising you and your brother, because every time you were off, I was off, Yeah. every holiday we were together. I didn't have to get babysitters for you guys during those times. Every summer we were together. Remember you're doing a library reading program. I'm taking you, I'm taking you to cash in your rewards. I'm the one with you. I was not a parent that felt that I needed a break. I needed somebody to watch my kids. The only time I was away from you was when I had to go away to school, whether I had to go out to Longwood for classes or to UVA, wherever I was going, wherever it was where Aunt Lena, Aunt Michelle, you had to go stay with them for me to go travel to a class. Right. But pretty much, I don't remember ever getting babysitters for you guys. So I feel like people you know, were just in my life to make it, it work. You know, um, so that vision was great, but working yeah. in the public schools, I think met my needs and it also met a need in the public school system because Jenny Jean elementary school was a title one school. So being in Manassas, I had a lot of low income students and it was really, to me, a greater investment than to just be filing insurance claims, you know, and working for myself. Yeah. really this job was a gift to me in so many ways that I got to be with you and, and Joel and not away from you guys. So to me, that's priceless. There's right. no rack of money I could make that would be more beneficial or fulfilling to me than being with the two of you. It's, right. it's absolutely priceless to me.
0: So, you know, speaking of that, what's one thing on that road. And during that, you know, you worked with preschool kids and you've been transferred once you moved to Fredericksburg, um, we're mm-hmm. now working with high school middle school students, so you're working with more individual personalities and stronger personalities. What's something that doesn't phase me <laughs> I mean it doesn't phase you, but it's like <laughs> I, I i yeah i mean you you had us for some it's so like you, you, it's no big deal um but like what's one thing you underestimated working with those students if if there is anything that you didn't take into account
1: so here's <laughs> again. A bonus, when I was doing preschool, you guys were preschool age, so I could identify mm. with those interests of those children, right? And it just happened to be that you guys were so little, and I could relate. When I switched to Stafford, you and Joel were middle school, and what did they <laughs> asked me, would you do middle school, and you know, would you go to the secondary level? They knew I had preschool experience. And I remember um, Rita Popper, she says, would you take on middle and high school? Would you do secondary level? And I was like, oh, that's a big jump. 12 years of preschool therapy, now I have to go to secondary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay." but everything that you and Joel were doing was relative and relevant to my new job placement. So you guys basically gave me the insights I needed for this population i mean i had to learn a lot about graduation requirements diploma status um but my experiences, basically um you guys helped me to master i think the funny part was though elementary school temperament is completely different from middle school and high school temperaments with the teachers
0: mm.
1: teachers act like elementary school like they the, between the rompers and the little crayon and chalkboard earrings and the way they dress and their attitudes and temperaments, like way more emotional, middle and high school. Like I was trying to consult with teachers after work and they're out. Like they're all about getting in early, leaving on time, their whole demeanor. They're just much more focused and serious and objective. So I think that was an adjustment okay. because
0: it wasn't as laissez-faire as it, as it used to be
1: not right well not even was a fair it's just it was just a different mindset middle school and high school so it's almost like the students are more mature the educators are more mature so that was an adjustment i think to know that they're serious about their hours they're not going to necessarily stay late and prep their classrooms some do but it's minimal not like mm-hmm. elementary you'll see so many people there late doing stuff prepping for the next day Here, some of them do, but for the most part, they're in and
0: out. Like, the school's not going to catch on fire.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they tried. They're serious about their hours, you know. Right. So So that was a big change.
0: Right. So it appears when you moved to Fredericksburg after being remarried and we started going to middle school and high school, you got hit. You were used to working at one, maybe a couple being spread out, but they all came. There was one school and all the other schools came to you when you were in uh, Jeannie Dean. But now you had to now spread your wings over two, three schools. You actually actually, you actually had to be on site at those places. Were you comfortable in taking them more or were they just threw it at you and said, good luck? Oh, no, that's not, (laughs) it's
1: not. No, I wasn't comfortable. No, (laughs) I had no idea how to do it. It's a juggling act. Mm -hmm. And, um. It's still a long process to create a schedule every year. But I rose to the occasion. occasion, I should say, because it's just the nature of the job. Each school doesn't really have the numbers to just have a full-time speech pathologist at one school. So at the secondary level, they expect you to have more than one school. Wow. And depending on the numbers, like if my caseload was lower, they would want me to help out another school or vice versa. So um, this year wasn't a year to get help. My caseload was very high, but wow. we were down like three therapists. Mm. So you just had to make do with what you had.
0: Wow. they going strong 26 plus years. Yes. 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 While others are dropping, you stayed, in, stayed along the course. You know, how, how many yes. other people, how many other people in that career do you know that have been in there 26 plus years? Oh, there's people. There's yeah. There's a lot of people. Yeah, they do mm. this. Usually unless
1: health takes them out or they just get burnt out. Like a lot of times when, especially nowadays, you know, people in 20 somethings, if they don't like a job, they're just leaving. They're gonna reinvent (laughs) themselves. They're just not doing it. Like they can't have it. Like their happiness is more important than a contract. Their happiness Mm -hmm. is more important than the students. They're just like, this is not working for me. I'm out, I'm doing something else. I have, there was one young speech path. She came in and she just left and did an IT job. What? She just chucked her whole degree. She was like, forget this. <laughs> I'm doing wow. web design or IT. We were like, oh, okay. She did like one year, she was gone. Hey, do you? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and some people, they switch to teaching. Some of them don't like it. I mean, it's very technical, very demanding, time consuming. The reports, you know how between IEPs and writing yes. reports,
0: I've heard IEPs my whole life. I, I don't. Even, I don't even want to know what an IP looks like at this point. I'm, I'm traumatized by IEPs. I have to write writing. <laughs> you, know?
1: you and your brother, because your brother said there's no way he would do Teach for America or anywhere. He's not teaching anywhere.
0: Nope. Uh, no. I'm good. I, I, I like what I do right now. So this is actually a really good time, Mom. To uh, we're going to take a small intermission. Uh, Hear some word for our sponsors. Um, my wine setting in really well. Tastes like a strawberry shortcake in bubble form. Oh, yeah, it's really delicious. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about um, your great state of New York and how that has um, shaped your life and made you who you are today. Awesome.
1: OK. All
0: right. We'll be right back with the Hot Plates and Grace podcast. Thank you. The wine enjoyed on this episode was provided by Parcel Wine Shop. A curated wine shop and online retailer with nationwide shipping curated by a team of New York's finest sommeliers located at 511 West 38th Street in Hudson Yards, New York City. Subscribe to Parcells Wine Drop, a new delivery service featuring three hand-selected bottles for $95 per month. Parcell, wine for every scenario. The Hot Plates and Grace podcast was brought to you by Delicious Hospitality Group. The group that brought you Charlie Bird, Pasquale Jones, Legacy Records, Ada's Place, Easy Victor's Cafe, and a brand new restaurant that's coming soon. These are my favorite places in Manhattan where you can eat great food, drink fantastic wine, and listen to a fire-curated playlist. Place an order today. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Hot Plates and Grace podcast. I'm Aaron Mays. I have my guest with me, uh, my mother, Vanessa Collins, speech-language pathologist of the Stafford County Public School System in Virginia, and we're here back to talk about her life in New York and how it has transformed her life or made her who she is today in the present day time. Uh, So mom, you know, being born and raised in New York, did that give you the confidence that you can make it anywhere?
1: Well, of course, I mean, <laughs> as the song goes. Right, I, mean, I just had the it got it to check. You can make it there, you make it anywhere, right? I mean, right. New York, New York is the best place on earth, you know? Um, and growing up in Mount Vernon is truly the best of both worlds. Because you're in Lower Westchester, you know, you're in, you're downstate, people think it's upstate, although you have to drive a long ways to get to true upstate. Um, but you're it's a true suburb. It's urban, but it's just on the outskirts. Like literally we could walk to the Bronx. I mean, what else could you ask for? I mean, I grew up in an apartment building, but of course it was a really, really nice building. Like in my younger years, like we literally had this beautiful playground with benches, the slide, swings, seesaw, like it was just really, really nice basketball hoop, and of course they eventually got destroyed and it's not there anymore. Mm. Um but I just had the best of both worlds growing up in an apartment building, um, city living, but yet it's just suburban. It's not the same, like what people think of New York City as like a concrete jungle. Um, New York City, like I spent a lot of time um, on Grand Concourse when I would go visit my cousin, Francesca. She lived with her grandmother for a long time in Concourse Village. And so I had my experiences with her there um, not far from Yankee Stadium, and I spent tons of time in New Show, you know, with my grandmother's house, and it's just priceless. I wouldn't yeah. have wanted anything else. I don't know how else to explain it. I think it's just, I really grew up, I think people wouldn't think it's perfect because people think of Mount Vernon as a crime-infested place. They think of it as the least of Westchester, I knew I grew up in the north side, and I spent some time on the south side, but there were places I was—I was told I
0: was not to go, you know. Yeah. Um, we're well, one of those places, because um, I know you—you you mentioned growing up that, you know, out in money earning Mount Vernon, there was a fellow really famous rapper um, who died way before his time, Heavy D and and his boys, and um, what, what was that like? being around that environment especially in like the rise of the the golden age of hip-hop
1: well heavy was one of the sweetest people i've ever known i mean we went to elementary school together he is i believe he was a year ahead of me um and a lot of his his boys um i want to say troy and glenn they were i want to say in my same class and then p rock was a year behind us i believe
0: wait 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 You, you never
1: talk about p rock you never it was mentioned to all pizza. hang out on the corner at the pizza shop. All right, okay. <laughs> and um the playground was right near there, right behind the pizza shop. So, you know, Heavy was just one of the sweetest people, just unassuming, very low-key, quiet, kind of shy, just really soft-spoken and sweet. And I really would have never expected him to become who he did but i was couldn't be happier for him right i couldn't be happier for him or al or even puffy i didn't know puffy on that level i think graduation party i went to his house once i think he threw a graduation party but he went to private school so he didn't go to the high school with us um but dj eddie f which was heavy's you know dwight's dj
0: yeah
1: um this basically ain't no party like Eddie F. Party. I mean, we would walk no matter, we would walk to his house, which was one way on the other side of town. If he was throwing a house party, um, he would DJ our like high school, the junior prom. He DJed all of our parties, like homecoming. You know, if Eddie F. is a DJ, everybody's going right. That's just how it was. And um, Eddie F. was really smart, he was a good student. I want to say he like Earned some scholarships, you know, for college and stuff. And just really nice guys. Just really great, good people. (laughs) Have nothing but golden things to say about all of them.
0: That's awesome. And God rest his
1: soul. I want to say Troy was the one that passed away from the stage accident.
0: Mm. One of the dancers that fell. I'm not too... Like like I said, I don't know much about the whole, like, heavy D, that experience. It's like, it's really great to hear from you. Because, you know, you only you know, heavy D and limousine, that's all you really know in this generation. And I remember scrolling on YouTube way way back in the day, listening to the Money Earning Mount Vernon song. And like just kind of yeah. him putting on Mount Vernon in that area. You know, I just, I never knew that it was really considered an area where people came from filled with talent until you do your research and you realize all the people who are from Mount Vernon, who spent time in Mount Vernon. I mean, not
1: just Debbie, not just, um, excuse me, Denzel Washington, Debbie Allen, Felicia mm. Rashad, right, um, Dick Clark, lots of people are from Mount Vernon. Lots of wow. famous,
0: famous people, and they had the nerve to call it upstate. Uh. So you got you got heavy in his in his truest sense before stardom, fame, lights, cameras, or action. Oh like, my
1: God, just yeah. good people, just most one of the nicest people. I mean, he grew up in the Heights. I want to say, an uh, older brother and sister, um, and just wonderful, wonderful wow. person.
0: That's so beautiful. I, I, I love that story. That was so inspiring. Somebody who's, like, really into, like, the, the hip-hop culture and what it is now. And, like, you know, I, I spent my whole life, you know, just, like, kind of, like, researching the starts of hip-hop, the roots. And especially you're being from some of the roots. And during that golden age of hip-hop, it's, like, amazing how, like, there's a small tie, you know, for, for me to the hip-hop industry. So I feel it's even more romanticized now thinking about it. You know, now it's, like, even more solidified. Okay, this is I, – I truly believe I have this in me because of my mother, my, my – my upbringing you know and yeah and those. i mean you
1: i celebrated them or rejoiced for them and their success because literally seeing them hang out on the corner at the pizza shop you know to that level of stardom and success is just wonderful wow i mean it's just awesome i think all of us were cheering for them and wanting the best for
0: well, them. That unless happening...
1: they were just haters but for the most <laughs> part i think everybody
0: one so of there's them There's always haters, funny. right? There's always going to be the haters. But did, did that seeing somebody from your area grow to that limelight? Did that inspire you going forward to be great as well or to at least put your best foot forward in anything that you did? You're, you're doing great things now and your best foot is forward, but did that experience people around you who did great things inspire you to do that as well?
1: I do think there is a sense of pride from where we grew up. That we were to be something greater than our circumstances, because many of us, um, but not all of us, because many people like um, Puffy or Heavy, they grew up in single family homes. Here I was, I'm living in an apartment building, you know, I didn't know how poor I was until later, until I became an adult and knew how I was really low income. Um, I just never knew it. I never went without. I was just blessed. I had everything I needed, but. We weren't well-to-do at all, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think there was an expectation that we all had to stay out of jail. I mean, my mother was like, you know, if you go to jail, don't call me.
0: So when you came up here um, during my graduation, when I graduated from the Institute of Culinary Education, uh, we went to Pasquale-Jones and we got a lunch. We had a lunch reservation but even from the jump, they were very receptive. And I remember all the bells and whistles of that day, and I felt like so taken care of. And I never really got asked your opinion about that dining experience. And, and I, it really ties into this question of, do you think the hospitality of New York City is the best? That they they started the trend, they they are the culture, and it trickles down into other places.
1: I'm biased. So growing up really and truly, I know this is just shows how limited my world was in my scope of thinking. I didn't travel a lot growing up. Um, I think we vacationed, what, not really vacation? We went on one vacation to New Hampshire once and that's where they think I'm dark in New Hampshire. <laughs> um, like I'm foreign. Um, <laughs> and then North Carolina to visit family. I didn't travel much, so I didn't see much. I didn't go out of the country until what we went to Canada And I was like in my 30s Mm -hmm. Um, and I really only thought New York and California really existed. Nothing else in between mattered, except for North Carolina, where my family was like New York and California were the spots. Those were like where you could be successful. Right. Right. New York City, Hollywood. So New York was always the gold standard. I love New York. Like there were commercials like it was just a thing. Um, So there was no place better than New York, period. That was the best place in the world. Yeah. So I felt like the rest of the world was trying to emulate and measure up to New York. That was what I always thought. Um, so, the designing experience that we had at Pasquale Jones, I found it unique because, you know, I love the wine glasses, I think they're just beautiful. Um, And it tickled me when you were educating me about I needed to order every course at one time. That was a new experience for me. And you know how hard I am with making decisions. So I'm like, okay, I'll go with what you recommend. Yeah. So I didn't find it to be any kind of unusual service or I don't wanna say it wasn't exceptional because it was high quality. And I think the presentation and the food, everything was fine, but I didn't find it to be like unexpected. I think it was what I expected. I, um, at that time though, the unusual part was the tip being included. That was unsettling. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't comfortable with that. And you know, I wasn't comfortable with that. Like I felt like I had to do something extra and I really should have just taken a back seat and accepted that that was the standard. So that was very new to me and I didn't really understand it. i I was accustomed to a tip being a separate line item, you know, gratuity for a large group is included, blah, 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 but not it embedded in the price where there's no tip. I felt like I was missing something. One thing I will say that because I'm a non-drinker, I I choose not to indulge very much. I think I sampled the wine that you selected that day, but I wonder how I would have perceived the experience had I indulged more pairing the wine with the entrees and the appetizers, how that would have affected things. Because I know that you becoming this wine connoisseur and really talking about wine pairings, how my experience would have been different toward the overall experience. Because, you know, I'm not anti-wine with a meal. I'm very anti-alcoholism becoming drunk. That I have issues with and I choose to abstain, (laughs) but I will sample, right? Right. So that part, I guess, looking back at it, I wonder how that would have impacted it because I think that was the whole experience, based on the delicious. What did you say, hospitality group?
0: It's all it's all very subjective at the, at the end of the day, but I, I do I, I do get that in, in that case because there is something to it. You know, the service of the wine, presenting it, air, you know, the aeration, oxidation, the time, how it opens up with the meal each bite each sip yeah there's something there's a romantic part of that yeah. but it's yeah. not everything you know as long as the food's good it, it's what you want out of the experience you know do you still feel like new york city's hospitality is the best after dining out in different countries
1: i guess the best is relative because i think setting and you know when you're at an all inclusive resort in jamaica on the what on the beach i mean versus In a new york city restaurant with the clamor and the noise and you know i don't know best is relative to me um (laughs) but i think you're and the attention factor that you get on those resorts that's their livelihood like tourism is important to new york city but there's also a base of locals who are going to dine out that have the income that can dine out but when you're on those um in those tourist locations, that's their bread and butter. That's their livelihood. Now servers locally in New York City, I'm sure that's their bread and butter and their livelihood, but it's a different mindset. So when you're there as a guest in some of those locations abroad, the service is very on point in most cases. Like they're there to please and bend over backwards. So I don't wanna say that there might be a level of arrogance in New York City that...
0: (laughs) No, there's, you there's should feel
1: privileged to be in our establishment <laughs> just as much as we should feel privileged that you're here so i don't know that best is a term that i could really apply in that case um i do say it's still excellent it's high level i think that it does set the gold standard um but how you feel in other places sometimes may top that because When you're dining in New York, like if I go on vacation and I come to New York, it's still not the same as when I go to the Caribbean or go to Europe. Right. And I don't know if it's because I'm more familiar. This is where I grew up. We did get to go to venture to the city. We did have some experiences. So it's not as new. I think it depends on maybe the occasion, what you're celebrating, what is happening. Um, I think there needs to be some meaning to the occasion. Maybe if you look at purely fine dining, New York may exceed
0: most places in the world, if you want to look at it like that. So we're speaking about experiences in New York, doesn't have to be dining. Um, What's the really fun experience you had? Young, high school, you know, coming of age story that you had in in New York City, Mount Vernon, Bronx, You, you name it.
1: There's some things, and I've shared this with you multiple times, you know, White Castle has a really special place in our heart because after every party, we would like basically go to White Castle, like do a late night ride to, you know, White Castle and just hang out, you know, thank God our auntie had a license and a car and that's what we would do, you know, and then on Sundays, you know, late night, they chest the diner, you know, or Nerochelle, go to the Thruway diner and um, they've torn down the old A diner and put up. The New Rochelle Diner now, not like just feet away from the original. Yeah. Um, so I think what makes New York unique too is that you can go somewhere and get some food to eat, mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day. Somewhere there's a diner open. White Castle's never closed. You know, you know, down here you basically are stuck with Seven Eleven. Right. Right. Wawa. And I, it's like Wawa's high end, like late 90s. Or like I think Woodbridge has a silver diner, right? So I'm not even sure. I don't think they're open twenty-four hours, or maybe till midnight or whatever. But I think that was just fond memories of being able to just go to a diner. Just you and your friends, no matter what time it is, we're going to a diner. Um, but my fun spot we used to go to was the olive tree oh, in yeah. Greenwich Village. Yeah. And we used to love going there for the Greek food, um, the chalkboard tables. You know, that was always fun to write on tables and the silent Charlie Chaplin movies are in the back on the screen. And you know, that used to be a fun late night spot we would go to. Um, So I think just taking advantage of New York City, like I said, Mount Vernon is the best of both worlds because you're not in the city, but you can get to the city by car like 25 minutes, 20, 25 minute drive, depending on where you're going. Or South Street Seaport, you know, mm-hmm. to go there and look at the Brooklyn Bridge and and just and we ended up there by accident one time. I don't yeah. know if you remember that. I do. And yeah. seeing street performers and and different stuff. So I think there's no place else. Of course, I haven't gone to California yet, but I feel like those are some things people don't talk about because they think of like diner food as low class, but you can really get some decent meals at a diner. We have fond memories growing up. Like my prom, you know, prom night, going to IHOP the next morning. You know, you staying out all night. You know, my senior prom was at Marina Del Rey. Just different experiences that we had, that me and my friends would do, you know, once we could drive or whatever, even though I didn't get my license till the day I left New York, but <laughs> um, it was just fun you know, and I think that makes it different. Whereas like when you grew up down here, you basically, everybody had to have a car. There was no real public transportation. And then you always chilling at somebody's house. I don't know where you would have gone out to eat. Like you said, you might have to get gas station food.
0: Yeah. It's That's That's like the closest. Something like that. Yeah.
1: So I think you know, having those memories of your friends getting together at a diner all night, just sitting there laughing, talking, ordering food, whatever. I think those were fond memories, you know, going to a party, going out to eat. And I think because my friends were like our level, we hung out at our Angie's was like wine coolers. Like we were never (laughs) the drinkers, smokers, you know, that wasn't us. So just having these fun experiences of 24 hour eateries was really a big thing. I think. Yeah. You know, because there was nothing really open in Mount Vernon, we had to go to the Bronx.
0: So the fact that you could just be like, "Oh, we're done with this party. Let's go to the White Castle and just hang out. Let's go to this diner. It's open. You know, it's not loitering. You're not out past a curfew time. There's no police gonna pull up on you and be like, what are you doing out? Where's your parents?' That type of thing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. So I hope I answered your question.
0: Oh, more more than more than answer the question. I got a lot more than <laughs> I got a lot more than I expected. It's it's great. I'm I'm glad I got to hear these New York experiences firsthand, again, even more in depth. You know, I know a lot, but you know, our our listeners don't really know everything. You know, mom's a cool person. She's a dope person. You gotta know. You gotta learn and hear what she's been through. It's really cool. So let's. I want to talk more about now because I I feel like we got a lot from the New York stuff. Let's talk about now your like your your mindset, your contributions to your field of work, and even to like people you you know talk to on a daily basis. I know you like kind of help mentor especially a lot of single, single women who've been through the same experiences you have been. So when you like wake up every day, what is your goal in life or what, what light are you trying to shine?
1: Uh, well, I always joke and say, I'm living the dream. Um, because I wanted to do this job since I was 16, you know, so professionally, my heart is in this job. This is not, this is also kind of like a ministry too, because, you know, my prayer is that all my students would become excellent communicators and they could. I always say communication is our greatest gift. And it touches my heart when I can see my students become successful. Um, I remember a little boy, <laughs> his name was Jonathan and when i met him in preschool all he said was mm no matter what you said to him his answer was mm mm mm, mm. by the time he went to kindergarten he was communicating in full sentences and having conversations and that was just like amazing you know wow. and it's just like a blessing to be able to help a child speak and i have some students that don't have any sounds or words um but we have to give them help them have alternative communication methods which is always a challenge um but i really aim to try to support my students and my colleagues to help our students communicate in the best way possible however that is um and i also want to shed the light of the lord i want to reflect the heavenly father whenever i interact with people i want to demonstrate good character um and like you said, helping other, cause I'm a former single, single parent. I've been blessed to be married to wonderful James for 15 and a half years now. Um, but I do wanna encourage them, you know, based on, there's a cliche that says, if you don't have a test, you won't have a testimony. Um, and some people say you overcome by the word of your testimony. So I try to encourage other single parents that it is possible. Look at the miracles God provided and performed for me. He can do it for you. It may not come in the same way that mine did. Because um, I really think about how, even looking back at my Jenny Dean years, my friend Karen Rosello, she was a child fund coordinator for years. And then when I got to grad school, I had to do my practicum at work. I asked her like, Karen, will you supervise my practicum here, you know, will you be my supervisor? And like the person I worked with for all these years is now supervising and signing for my hours. You know, it's just like people being put in my path, you know, with Renee Sanders, just showing up and going through the grad school program with me. Just, I do want them to see God in me. I really do. Um, I think we should be the hands and feet of Christ on earth as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. I think that we're not perfect, but he is. So I do want to be a good living example of that. And I always tell you, nobody's perfect, but I do want to try. So I do want to be a positive person at work, a team player and supportive. And of course, extremely detailed, which is um, sometimes the downfall that just keeps me at work so late. And James will always say, I don't think anybody else is doing what you're doing. But I do <laughs> want to do it well, you know. Right. I just don't know how to take shortcuts and not follow the rules and do what I'm supposed to do. So I'm really thankful. And um, I think that's the light I would like to – I want to leave by example.
0: That's great. And I think you've done a tremendous job in that, especially, you know, my brother and myself, I think uh, – everything that you've tried to implement has happened. Like, I feel like I make a lot of conscious efforts in the way I act in society based off what you've shown me. Like, you know, like I like, even the whole purpose of this podcast is to use experiences to inspire and motivate others on their walk. And that's literally what you do with single parent mothers through your experiences. Like I, I feel as if I have accomplished something and like, with speaking to people who have accomplished more than myself will help motivate me get more. And those who have accomplished something and want more can feel like they can do more. Like they can do it by hearing the stories of those who've been through it and who have done that. And I, and personally, I feel like I, I even have a deeper respect for people who have like been through tests to have a testimony, you know? So I feel like without even knowing it, I'm like, your light that you're trying to shine has like been through me, like through blood pretty much. And like, I'm portraying that, now out into, into the earth and like through thank my profession. You. You're welcome, of course, thank you, mom. And well, so where do you see your career going from here? Are you looking to further your practice stay in, or are you looking to call it quits? You, you put a lot of your life in yourself. Where, where from Oh my here? gosh. <laughs> Calling quits,
1: oh my gosh, I wish. Um, I hate to say that, but when last march 12th happened and this coronavirus hit and i mean we're having to work from home virtually we're in meetings all day it was just craziness trying to figure out how do i do this job i mean i'm taking webinars after webinars after webinars just trying to learn this new skill set after like you said 25 years i was doing this like okay, i do this face-to-face, I, I work with people, how do I, How am I gonna do this virtually through a camera? Like, and then I have to take an ethics course because ASHA included that as a requirement for us to maintain our CEs. And there I'm reading where it says virtual speech teletherapy is what we call it. Um, teletherapy, telepractice has to be the same quality as in-person therapy. So I'm like, oh great, now it's even more pressure. Really, I have to make sure it's the same quality oh my God, how do I use these virtual materials? How do I learn these tools? I mean, it was like intense pressure. I feel like that I never slept from March till September.
0: Yeah.
1: And I cried so much from August to September with the thought that I had to go to -to face-to-face with students because some of my students just can't learn virtually. Mm. So I had word with that. Can I take early retirement? can I live off of half of my salary? Well, actually it would be less. It would be only a third if I didn't meet my 30 years. So, you know, I had met with my financial advisor in the summer and he said, if I did my 30 years, you know, I wouldn't, I would be okay. Um, so during this time I just made haste. I've been really trying to save, really pay off debts, basically only have the house to pay off. Um, and, You know, I try to send you the articles, what I learn. I try to pass along to you or Joel or whoever will listen. Um, Because nobody taught me that growing up. You know, my mother didn't give me any formulas or any tools, and she didn't know any better. I mean, she didn't even want me to buy the house. When I was buying my house by myself as a single parent at 32, this was unheard of. Nobody in my family had ever done that. I'm the first one to get my master's. I mean, my, my sister Michelle had a bachelor's, but I'm getting my master's. My mother's like, how are you going to pay for the, how are you going to pay your mortgage? And I said, well, Ma, the same way God helped me pay rent, (laughs) he's going to help me pay a mortgage. And and that was done, you know? So can I retire right now? No, like technically. And I don't want to. I really, this is, I was grieving because it became so challenging and so hard to learn virtual speech therapy and to do a virtual and face-to-face schedule. And then I had a kid who wasn't wearing a mask. It was just like a lot. But I put on my, I cried my eyes out for a couple of weeks, at least twice a week. And then got over that, prayed, got over the fear, came to work, thank God I've been well and healthy this whole time. And the earliest technically I can retire is July, 2025. 20, and we'll see, but I am really working on trying to be established. Cause I don't want to be a burden on you or Joel or anybody. I really want James and I to be established and well, Well off. You know, money is not, I've never been like one chasing money. It's just, there's so many more important things in life, like our health, quality of life, serving God, doing ministry, helping other people, you know, family time. Like that's so golden to me to spend time together and now traveling, you know, that's a hobby,
0: right? Yeah. Newly, newly acquired hobby.
1: I know. Right. (laughs) I never thought I had or would like to have or do, um, so no i don't plan on shifting gears i love my schools i love my administrators um the job is cumbersome taxing mentally taxing time consuming all that but i do feel like it's a calling and what i'm meant to do i've thought about it what else can i do to make this much money that doesn't have this kind of paperwork i've thought about it i've asked myself i've asked god okay is there anything else i could do but the It comes back, just like I questioned in my 20s, is this what I'm meant to do? This is what I'm meant to do. And I am thankful for it. I got a thank you letter from a senior thanking me for helping him to graduate because I've had him from sixth grade to 12th grade. And um, an email from a parent thanking me for the work I'm doing with her daughter. So whatever other issues, it's just all worth it in the end for our students to make progress. And I'm just grateful to have the opportunity and I am thankful to you and Joel for being the awesome, upstanding citizens, the loving sons, the God-fearing men you are. <laughs> I'm really grateful and I'm proud of both of you. I'm really proud of you and God answers prayers because Lord knows, you know, I prayed for you. <laughs>
0: I'm grateful. It's, it's really inspiring to hear what keeps you going. Cause like, it, it's really tough when you're doing something you love. Because it can, even when you're doing something you love, it could be very disheartening. So there could be situations it's like, okay, like you said, you know, something unprecedented can happen. It being in there for so long, it's been kind of the same for so long. It's something so, to the whole world, traumatic, it puts everything at a standstill and it becomes twice as challenging as it was before. But to still have small things, little things, little even a thank you or like a card from something that you put time and effort in to come back, um, you know however many fold to to you and the sense of gratitude keeps you going. And like, I feel like some people when they have like a rough day and they have like a really, even like a chef can have like the worst day of his life. And some of your guests. like, I want to speak to the chef. I want to speak to the chef. He's having such a bad day. They can say this food saved my day. It's so great. That could keep him going. Like that's all he needed. Everything else could have been, everything could have been on the right saying I'm ready to quit. But that one thing there kept them going and it's, and it's kind of like sometimes a thesis of this whole thing is like what keeps you going there's so much good there's so much bad there's so much ugly that goes into what you want to do in life but what is keeping you going and it, and it's i'm really glad i to hear that organically from you you know as as, as my mother you know but also having a, a kind of really intense profession you know it's great to know so i really want to say mom thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for being a part of this this installation of our podcast, being a part of this. It just, it's not about me in this podcast at all. It's always about the guests. But it, I felt like it was important to kind of see where I came from and my influences and, like, hearing the way you speak. It's, just, it's literally like I'm, like, the spitting image of you, just male version, really. You know, <laughs> I wish I was as organized as you, but. Oh,
1: yeah, but it's coming. Remember, the pandemic caused you, wasn't it the pandemic that caused you to buy a planner and you actually wrote in it?
0: Yeah, I have a white, I have a whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm afraid of my own potential.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you've seen my list for years. And I'm like, Aaron, you need to write it down. You were like, "Ah, I got it. I don't need to write it down. And I'm like, Oh, my God, you would really write it down. Like, please. I'm excited. And I will tell you that I am quite honored that you asked me to participate. I was extremely nervous as you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but I told you how could I say no to you? I mean that's Thank just you. not reasonable. I could we, never
0: say no. Well I'm really thankful for you as a mother and the, and the insight and the and the life you provided for me. Um, I I'm always internally grateful for the life I was given and given to because it's, nothing was ever guaranteed and we got it there's a term now got it out the mud. We literally got it out the mud and everything we've received we earned and I feel like it was deserved. It wasn't because we we could just pay for it. We literally we would work towards the goal, or, like set a goal, achieve it, and it always meant something. And um, before I get too sidetracked and a bunch of like remarks and stuff, um, this is the time for you to plug in. Um, all our guests, we have them plug in their projects, they're working on. Anybody you want to shout out at the moment? Um, so now's the time for you to plug in. Anybody you know that you want to support, anything that you've seen. Internet, news, the church, any movements that you're, you want to shed some light on, uh, now's the time I give that floor, give the floor to you for that.
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think I tried to drop names off and on throughout um, this podcast. And, I mean, I know for sure that Pastor John Payton has been a great influence in my life. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I would have never became that homeowner then um my sisters my family you know my parents what they instilled in us their work ethic and their lifestyle um being raised in church my grandmother you know i could never i wouldn't be who i am without her you know even aunt angie my oldest friend like influencing my my life um there's so many people i mentioned renee sanders karen rosello all my colleagues that i've worked with over the years have been a blessing um my dear husband James and he's been a blessing and he's been consistent and a devoted husband, as you know, hasn't always been easy. Being a blended family is not always easy, you know, and um even I can even say to this day, I'm grateful even for your father, because if that wasn't for that marriage, I wouldn't have you and Joel. So, yeah. you know, you just have to thank God for all things. Give thanks in all things, you know, even if it's not always pretty, but it was a time when it was good, you know. Yeah. So just looking back and giving thanks you learn to abase, you learn to abound and be content whatever state you're in that's really essential so i'm grateful for everyone who's helped me to get where i am um i don't take it for granted and i do want to give back even when we had the townhouse i would try to rent to single parents you know Mm -hmm. although that didn't work always out well in my favor but um that house was a blessing and got out a lot of debts when i sold it so i'm just thankful For every opportunity, every person who crossed my path. And you know how that goes. Even Miss Angela, when I had to move, you know, she even said, I'll pay for your rental truck if you want to, your moving truck if you want to move. And it's like, we had just met like the month before. Yeah. So there's just so many people that I'm grateful for
0: and all the blessings God's given me. And I hope I didn't miss anybody. The best way to repay anybody is just success. So... I'm doing everything in my power, putting every foot forward to utilize what you taught me, what you implemented in me, and using it in my life. And even though I live a more secular life compared to you, it's still – every value that you taught for me or taught to me is still there consciously and making valiant efforts to make you proud every single day.
1: Right, right. And now I'm thinking of what it was I didn't finish my thought that's saying – if you grow up to be fools, it's on you, not me. I can go to my <laughs> grave tomorrow and know I did my best and I have no regrets. That's what the rest of that was. You know, I just, there was be nothing else I could do because I told you I could love you. I could teach you, but I can't live for you. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how it's turned out. And thank God it's going well. Joel is doing well. Everybody makes mistakes, Aaron. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. And thank God by grace, we can recover um, and I thank God you are recovering. You have recovered, and I'm I'm just thankful. And really and truly, most of us are pretty secular in our 20s. Right. That doesn't mean you have to choose that lifestyle, but most of us were. I look back at it. I've thought about that, and I'm like, many of us were living that kind of more carefree life in our 20s. And
0: yeah. you're, aven- you're invincible until you turn 30. <laughs> oh, if <only>. yeah. Uh... <laughs> Well, all right, Mom, um, I mean, Anthony and I are going to top off our glass um, since you don't have one to join with. I know. I feel
1: like this is open toke or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. And then um, so for our season finale, um, I just, you know, closing remarks I already said it, like just thank you so much for helping us round out an amazing season. Uh, we've had so much fun creating it, and uh, we hope everybody out here who's consumed it has enjoyed it half as much as we enjoyed making it for you, because truly we really wanted to create good product, good content for that's easily digestible to to any and, to any and everyone out there who wants to be somebody in the hospitality industry or any industries relevant to it. So I just want to raise my glass to you, Mother, and say thank you so much. And if you really could, um, luckily we're virtual so doing uh, the cheers, uh, my alcohol to your water, even though water <laughs> is water is the world's greatest cocktail. People just don't understand it. It's uh, one part hydrogen, two parts um, oxygen. So there you go. Or two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, whatever. I ain't a scientist. <laughs> H2O. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, that means two, Two right? parts hydrogen, hydrogen, one part oxygen. There we go. Two parts. Why am I starting yeah. to talk now? I don't know. <laughs> possibly but mom if you could please just um give us a nice gracious toast and we'll raise our glass to you
1: to all of yesterday today and tomorrow the best is just to come and may god's best be upon us amen
0: cheers amen all right mom so you've watched every episode of my show my number one supporter, thank you very much. <laughs> so the least
1: you, I can do, and thank right. you for having me. It is an honor.
0: Of course, mom. It, it was an honor to ask you to have the platform, to have the space, to to be available to show the world my beautiful mother. Mom's not on social media anywhere. You can't find. Don't even try. This is the this is her moment gracing the internet with her presence. <laughs> you're you're oh welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, son. So if you would like to just take us out. Uh, and we'll we'll conclude it with that. Okay. I hope I get it right. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Three, two, one.
0: Nice. <laughs> that was perfect. That was so perfect. Thank you for listening to the Hot Plates and Grapes podcast podcast made for those on the grind in the hospitality industry. Be sure to follow us on Instagram for more content, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you're on the go, you can find us on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Anchor FM. Stay tuned for new episodes every other Tuesday at 7 p.m.